0: Welcome to the Zone podcast, where each episode we spend some time focusing on something that's on students' minds right now. I'm your host, Rachel, Employability and Careers Consultant with the University of Exeter. You can catch up on all of our episodes by doing all of those subscribing and following things. We're on Spotify and iTunes, So, good morning, Harry. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're really pleased to have you on as a guest. First thing, um, you're a law graduate and you're former associate for Hogan Lovells and currently founder and director of Brighttide. So I wondered if we could just start by giving us an overview of your company, Brighttide.
1: Of course. Um, well, firstly, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and to, to be on the podcast. So we, we started uh, Brightside in October 2021 and the the aim, the mission of it really is is twofold. One is we provide consultancy advisory work to private sector organisations to help them understand nature, climate change and biodiversity. We also work on training uh, staff around these different areas on, on the risks involved and also the opportunities and and also help on the strategy side. So. Um, helping companies put together internal and external strategies on how they can become net zero, how, can they, how they can become nature positive. So that's one side of the business, that's the consultancy side. And then the other exciting work that we do is, is focus more on the, the opportunities of both climate change and biodiversity loss, where we run these innovation accelerator programmes, bringing together some of the leading entrepreneurs working on the solutions uh, required to get us to net zero and to get us to nature positive. So we've run two uh, accelerator programmes over the last two years, and we focus primarily on the oceans. Um, The the main purpose being the oceans of all all the SCGs are the least funded. And we saw that there was a huge amount of opportunities for both private sector organisations and governments to, to fund nature restoration at scale but also to to get involved with new markets around uh, the carbon markets, such as blue carbon, looking at new emerging areas like seaweed and kelp and fisheries, and and also to to really promote the roles which oceans can play in in our climate change and nature-positive journey. So we've we've had the privilege of actually working with around uh, 30 entrepreneurs over the last two years and working with some of the biggest organisations in the world to support these entrepreneurs with... Things like pro bono legal support, looking at investment readiness, and really connecting those entrepreneurs to the private sector organisations, so they can be connected into their journey and also drive new revenue streams and scale as entrepreneurs as well. So that's really the the two things we do. It's been yeah, it's been quite a journey, and uh, we're we're only getting started, Rachel. So so watch this space.
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, what an achievement for the short time. That you've been running Bright Tide. Just remind me, Harry, how long How long is it?
1: So, we incorporated the company in March 2021, but it wasn't until uh, October 2021 that I actually started working full time um, after raising some initial investments.
0: Wow, so it's such a, you know, sort of not even two years yet, and, and already achieved so much.
1: Yeah, it's been quite a journey. I think we've we've hit it sort of just at the right time. You know, coming out of the, the Glasgow COP twenty six, and and just looking at this new interest from the private sector around nature mm. and biodiversity. So it's it's a good time, I think, to be doing this kind of work.
0: Yeah, definitely. I agree. It's then. Um... It's kind of a evolving sector, isn't it? I would say, definitely. And um, as founder and director of a company, I wondered if, you know, sort of like on a day-to-day basis, what does that actually look like and what does it entail?
1: So it's it's really as a, you're doing, as a CEO and a founder, uh, especially when it's your own company, you founded, you, you have to do, to start with, until you get to a scale where you can build a team. You're really doing everything and it's it's, it can be quite daunting so um, you obviously are responsible for the the day-to-day management of the company the uh, finances uh, looking at business development marketing pr and developing client relationships then delivering upon the work that you have with those clients bringing new people into the organization as you you grow Uh, raising investment is a really important part of uh, as a startup founder and also um, having that creative freedom to try different approaches and to validate those approaches with, with clients and, and working on certain projects and having the, I guess, being, being humble enough to realize that as much as you are passionate about one area, if it's not working, then being able to have that oversight to adjust it uh, or maybe change your approach to, to make it as commercial and successful as, as a business owner. So it's, it's, a, it's a very complex and fast moving um, thing to be involved in and, and can be quite daunting, can be quite lonely at times actually when you're, when you're mm. doing it all by itself, but it does give you that, that creative freedom, I think, which is really important to, to try new things and then to develop approaches and, and methodologies and then to have the, I guess, the determination to, to really drive things forward. And, and that's what I really love about running a company is that I am totally responsible for everything myself as the CEO and founder, but mm. I've been able to try different things and now i having a, a long-term vision, uh, um, but staying true to that vision, staying true to that purpose, but at the same time being able to generate revenue and being able to scale as a business and and stay, uh, stay on top of these so many different market changes that we've seen over the last two years. You know, we, we started the company just coming out of COVID, and uh, COVID was still a really transformed business, I think, in, in so many different ways. And then just, just in the last you know, year and a half since we've been doing this, we've come through the Ukraine crisis and Russia, mm. come through great economic instability here in the UK, but also internationally. So that puts extra pressure on uh, on, on founders and, and being able to... Being able to show resilience in order to overcome, you know, certain external challenges as well as internal challenges and, and have that focus to, to drive through all of that background noise is, has been tough. Um, but I think it's, it's also a very exciting uh, time to be, to be starting a company as well, as, as well as the, the challenges that there are. There's never been a greater time, actually, if you, t- if you think about climate change, uh, the UK specifically is one of the best places in the world to, to start a climate change business and if you look at the journey that the private sector and the governments are going on around net zero having a climate change or sustainability linked business does give you that really great market opportunity to develop new products and services which can really scale and can really generate revenue so it's a it's a a very mixed bag really uh, i think Um, but having that legal background as well i think has really been able to help me Uh, develop those relationships with clients, manage budgets, uh, drafting documents and and handling many different, juggling many different operations at the same time.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So, yeah, it's been quite a journey uh, so far.
0: Sounds like there's been lots of highs and lows, but generally it sounds like you feel like you've made the right decision. It sounds like you're very excited about what, you know, the future holds.
1: Most definitely and I think one of the the highs of doing this work Rachel is because I've been so exceptionally passionate throughout my life about conservation and the environment Mm. that sometimes it it doesn't feel like a job and I think Mm -hmm. one of the most important things that if you are starting a company which makes it certainly easier to deal with the challenges and how hard it can be is that if you find a subject area you are exceptionally passionate about and you believe that that's your kind of purpose in a way it does make it a lot easier Uh, and, and being able to work with so many exceptionally inspiring people meeting so many amazing people and having the privilege to work on some of the work we do is is really phenomenal in so many different ways so so having that purpose having that passion and that drive determination has really enabled me to to continue and and continue to be successful as, as what we've done so far
0: yeah that's something I wanted to ask you about actually Harry because um, as I said at the beginning you are a law graduate, you've you worked as an associate for Hogan Lovells and um, it kind of fits in because obviously you're doing something completely different now and it's Alternative Careers to Law Week here at Exeter. So I just wondered if you could spend a few minutes just explaining how you went from a career in law to a career in Sustainability, climate change. Obviously, you said you you had a massive passion for it, but I just wondered, you know, what that transition actually looked like.
1: Yeah, of course. So when I started my training contract back in um, goodness me, I think it was back in two thousand and fourteen. Now, many people were not really in the private sector and in, in law firms and the county firms. Climate change, after the Paris Agreement, was was starting to become a thing. And companies were starting to look at, uh, you know, their net zero agenda, setting sustainability goals around climate. Biodiversity, on the other hand, was was really just a sort of NGO kind of conservation charitable part. Private sector really hadn't come into that sector at the moment. So when I was uh, trading as a lawyer, I also also started my first environmental charity, which was called the, the Conservation Project International. And the aim of that was that, like myself, who actually wanted to be a marine biologist growing up, I was absolutely pants at biology. Uh, so I, I went <laughs> on, I was very good at sort of English and history, um, which then, you know, naturally fitted in with, with doing with doing law. And mm. uh, so that was that was just one thing. I think sometimes even if you don't have that experience in a certain subject matter, you can actually translate a lot of the skills you've learned in one profession over mm. to another different area. And, and you can also upskill as well. So you can do, you can, you know, you can do courses, you can go out there and get experience, volunteer experience and, and rebuild really your portfolio in, in sustainability and climate change. Um, so when I was training as a solicitor, I, I, I had a blog, I was talking about issues like the orangutans in Sumatra um, and many other different conservation related issues. And we, we started the, the conservation project international because i saw a lot of people that were doing marine conservation and conservation zoology at university they would do their three years their master's degree even sometimes a phd they would then come out of doing uh, the academic work and really struggled to find a job in the in the conservation sector and, and that was because the conservation sector is is really competitive firstly and secondly it, a lot of organizations like any organization you look for, you also look for as well as the theoretical knowledge. you look for practical skills and practical experience. And, and that's where I think having some years of law behind you uh, and being a lawyer or trainee lawyer or qualified qualifying shows you know you get thrown into so much so many different uh, different scenarios and you have to use so many different skill sets but you can you develop so much uh, incredible qualities which many organizations will look for. So we set up the conservation project, we, we set up a SHARP project here in the UK, uh, we set up a joint project in Kenya with the Nazio Trust and our aim really was to help young people who were doing conservation degrees really develop those practical skills uh, so they could then go on and find a job in the conservation sector. I think we helped over 500 young people uh, from across the world which was really rewarding. Okay when I was um, I was doing that at the same time as working as a lawyer and then qualified into corporate law. I did a, a year in corporate um, which was you know a really good experience. It was, it was tough you know long hours uh, managing transactions, working with other legal departments and other legal teams. I then sort of handed my notice in when I was on, on the first PQE in corporate law and I moved to the Maldives, which was completely alien to uh, most people doing law at the time. Because I, I kind of knew that if I wanted to move away from law, that particular area, you know, doing corporate law, I would have to go out there and get some other background experience to, to mm-hmm. make my CV relatable if I was to go in-house, for example, at you know WWF or one of the other environmental organisations. So I spent about four months working uh, with an incredible NGO on a tiny island in the Maldives called Nefaro and I had a coordinator role, so I was in charge of the volunteer program and we we worked, we had a, a coral reef restoration project and a, and a turtle rehabilitation center, one of the only ones on a local island of the Maldives. So that's really where I spent four months of my time you know, free diving and doing conservation work and, and really seeing firsthand the, the implications that climate change is having. And this was back in 2017, coming into 2018 where the Maldives lost I think, about 80 percent of their coral in, in 2016 through, uh, through the El Nino but also through coral bleaching. So it was, having that first-hand experience I think is, is really important because you can see already the damage that you know climate change was having mm-hmm. to island communities across the world and it's only got worse and worse and worse since 2017 sadly. So then I came back to London, I worked at Client Earth for a year um, mm-hmm. Which is an amazing organisation which works on uh, international climate litigation and does, does some probably some of the most groundbreaking public interest environmental law work in the world. It was an extraordinary place to work. And then I, I knew if I, you know, wanted to pursue a career in climate law, I would have to go back into private practice and, and develop my skill sets there. So then went back into, luckily, found this incredible role at Hogan Lovells, which was um, part of their business and social enterprise team. And that was a fantastic experience because, going back into the private sector, things had really moved on in terms of the climate debate and where you know companies were doing more and more around climate. The, the the task force for climate-related financial disclosure was was just sort of up and running, and and now companies around 2018 were really starting to think about biodiversity and also natural capital. So how can we account for nature-based solutions in in climate? zero journeys and and actually fund nature restoration at scale and that was a great experience because i got to work with many you know private sector organizations and and really see get that first-hand experience about how these huge corporates actually work and what the opportunities might be to actually help them on their journey or help other clients Mm -hmm. on their sustainability journey i also got to work with some incredible entrepreneurs and some of them i you know really good friends with now um across many different areas not just the environmental issues but looking at things like healthcare um, homelessness looking at the the refugee crisis and things like that so it was a it was a really amazing experience but uh, but i always knew that i wanted to have my own you know have my own company and build my own mission and accelerate it and and i knew that the ngo was only one part of the journey you know the real the real tough part of all of this is how can you make climate change and biodiversity scalable, because if we are to save natural ecosystems at scale, we have to also think about ways we can drive private sector investment into these areas, whether that is a seagrass meadow or, or coral reef restoration, or you know financing uh, the Amazon rainforest. Because the, the thing is, Rachel, at the moment we're we're, we're facing a uh, twin perils of both climate the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis. And both of them are alarming me, um, getting worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And if we are to unlock the private sector capital that we know is there that can go into nature and into climate, we have to, you know, really support those entrepreneurs that are coming up with those new business solutions and and um, and business ideas, and also think about ways we can connect them to the private sector. So that's really where Brightside was was born out of. And mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah fits in with with the mission. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's how yeah. we got. It.
0: I think something that really struck me there, Harry, is going back to the, to the beginning of what you were saying. You, In your words, you said, I was passionate about conservation, but I was really pants at biology. And as, <laughs> I was thinking, as I was listening to you talking, I was thinking, goodness me, that certainly hasn't stopped you. And I think it's, it's weird, isn't it? Because sometimes when we start out in our career journeys, we sort of think, oh, you know, the automatic thing is, well, I like conservation, well, I need to be good at Science and biology, but it just shows, doesn't it, that you can go off and and do something else because you pursued a law degree, you pursued a law career, very, you know, challenging sector, as we know. But along what struck me alongside that, you never let your passion die. You were still doing things like your blogs, you're involved with projects. So you were running sort of them both alongside each other, weren't you? And it sounds like you gained a lot of networking contacts as well through through the legal world and that's something we talk to our students a lot about the power of networking which I'm sure is something you would endorse. Um, but yeah, I just wondered sort of listening to you talk there if you were to sort of reflect back on your legal career, would you say what sort of transferable skills would you say that you're using sort of on a weekly basis with bright tide and the work you're trying to do that you've kind of gained from your legal career?
1: So I think one of the one of the main things you mentioned there is around is around um, work experience and networking. So
0: yeah, I yeah. know for a lot of
1: law graduates they have to do you know quite a big substantial amount of of work experience at, at different firms, and I know it can be tough doing that often unpaid you know voluntary experience, and it, mm-hmm. it is difficult because you know, times have changed even in the last five years. You know there's a lot the cost of living crisis and there's a lot more pressures on young people these days. Absolutely. I think one of the benefits of doing that experience is that you you develop your own personal network. Mm. So I I think I must have done maybe probably half a year worth of work experience in in different law firms and from criminal law firms to employment tribunals to experience in many of the the top firms as well, even if it's only sort of a week or a vacation scheme. So I think that firstly is is never underestimate how important that is actually in developing Mm. your own personal network in, in the legal sector. I, I always say to the sort of interns that we work with and graduates is that use LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn is a marvelous tool. It's helped me so much in my career because yeah. you can you can build your own, almost like a personal brand, a professional personal brand, and you can share things you're passionate about. You can connect with people so easily. A lot of my clients actually, Rachel, have come from just reaching out to people on LinkedIn, you know, setting up calls. Uh, really? It's been such a great tool for me, and uh, I think it really helps on the professional development phase. So th- those are two things, I think, networking and, and building your own sort of personal brand and expertise as well with, within your own circles of influence is, is really helpful. Um, law itself is, is I think the training contract is is brilliant because, again, you're, you're sort of thrown into these different areas of law, which you may have some initial understanding or some experience. But... When you actually work in practice, you know, there, it's it can be very different from your LBC or your undergraduate, you know, you're dealing with real life matters with, with real life mm-hmm. clients, you know, you're shadowing your associates and your associate or partner, you're learning from them, and you, you soon learn how to, you know, build relationships with clients, really understand the, the scope of work which you have mm-hmm. to deliver upon, you build great time management skills, you obviously have an understanding of fee structures and billing, which is really important. And you get to you have to you have to deal with some quite stressful times, there will be many times where you make mistakes, and I think that's okay. It's you know, making mistakes is actually quite beneficial because you can learn from those mistakes and you, you will learn how to deal with challenging and difficult times as well.
0: But also having that
1: wide-ranging skill set so if you did a seat in commercial property or if you did a seat in corporate litigation or in uh, employment law that that's really helpful because if you go down the route of being a corporate lawyer then you you have to bring in those other experience uh, experience solicitors from those different areas to really help you know advise on warranties or indemnities or different parts of your share purchase agreement for example so that again that goes back to um, having that initial experience through networking and building your business development skills really helps when you when you go on to your. Training contract, because mm-hmm. you already have a certain acumen that you can you know build your relationships with different lawyers in the firm, Which will only benefit you when you come to finishing your training contract and then hoping to qualify into a seat of your choice so having that. Having the sort of it's almost personal uh, personal experiences and how to develop uh, rapport with people is is super important, I think. Um, and then, I mean, there are so many different skill sets you learn as a lawyer, uh, as I mentioned a few of them already around sort of time management. Yes. Yeah. One of the things, if you don't mind me just saying, like one of the main things I think which I really love about the private sector is is getting stuff done. You, know, you are, and that that's something which in the climate crisis and diversity crisis is something which we do need to apply that kind of thinking. Uh, So if you get presented with a very complex transaction, you know, you are under a certain deadline, you will do everything you can to make sure you, you know, you meet your client's requirements and you get the transaction, you complete the completion done and you bring in the relevant people within the firm you're working at to make sure you've got oversight and the correct expertise. So that project management role as a lawyer is so important if you are to go into any other sort of career as well.
0: Yes, I can see that. I see what you're saying about the private sector and how that's slightly different, isn't it, to some of the other sectors. Um, I guess just sort of looking back to when you were choosing your degree, and obviously you you chose law, um, and I can, I mean, I'm guessing you chose law because it's a great degree to have, it's challenging, it's you know, if you were to go and to pursue a career in law, as you did, it's a great career. Um, but I wonder that a lot of our law students, I know they will be thinking about alternative careers for law for, for different reasons. Um, but I wonder, what would you say to any of our students who may be they're feeling a pressure to go down the legal pathway, but maybe they feel it's not right for them?
1: Yeah, I think I think just ha- even having a law degree is it's really great because um, again, it, it shows that you have that you know that wide ranging commercial experience, and you mm-hmm. can you have that wide ranging knowledge and uh, of of these different areas in, that the private sector may have. One of the great things about today's you know role in, in developing a professional career is that there are so many new jobs around. If you're passionate, for example, on the ESG, so environmental, social, governance, it might be you passionate about diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm.
0: You are passionate
1: about developing a career in, uh, let's say, corporate social responsibility or in climate change and, and uh, environmental issues. I think now there, if you look on, if you go onto LinkedIn, you type in you know, just climate change. There are so many different jobs out there now, whether it's starting a career, working in the finance industry, maybe going into working for an NGO if you're really passionate about doing that, uh, working in accountancy firms, you know, the big four. There's some great roles that are going there. are so many different things you can do but there are also if you want to start your own you know your own startup around a different area there are also so many amazing programs accelerator programs are really great ways to uh to get connected to other co-founders maybe find some initial funding so you can you know start your own company uh there are many different other programs as well so yeah i think it's a it's a really exciting time um to go into the environmental sustainability sector But even law firms now, it's funny that, you know, they're really starting to develop out to develop out their own climate risk and biodiversity risk practices, Mm. which really, and the pro bono side of of big law firms as well has really developed over the last sort of five years. So if you look at many of the big magic circle firms or the big 10 firms, nearly all of them will have a really great pro bono practice which enables you to develop your career in law, but to work on things you might be passionate about, whether it's in litigation or in developing things on climate and and biodiversity as well. So I think that it's it's a really good time to be uh, pursuing a career in law, but also you don't have to go down that legal route. There are many other different things that you can do as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice, Harry, I really do. And um, you touched on it a little bit there but obviously you're in the environmental sustainability sector. So I wondered if we have any students that are listening that are really interested in uh, pursuing a career in that sector. What advice, in addition to what you've already given, w- would you give to them?
1: So I would I would try and do some volunteering within, within the UK just to save your costs and save emissions. There are many amazing organisations that you can go. One of them is um, Project Seagross, which is trying to restore at scale seagrass around the UK. So just, you've got the Wildlife Trust, which are doing some incredible work uh, across around the UK. So, so I would go out there and, and do some volunteering, get a feel for the type of work these organisations are doing. And if you're really passionate about it, you can then think about, OK, how do I develop a career which can offer me you know a, a certain wage where I can survive, uh, uh, but also... Uh, have that career pathway as if you, I was going into a, sort of a legal career where you have that quite regimented, you know, associate, senior associate, that that, that safe pathway. Because I think that's also a reason why a lot of lawyers stay in law is because they, you get so far involved in developing your career in law that you have a certain lifestyle, you have certain responsibilities, mm. and when you get older as well that you have to adhere to. But also, you know, law does offer you that security. And it does offer you that career pathway as well but then you have to try and justify that with maybe not being happy you're working in an area which you're not that passionate about and, mm-hmm. and the implications that has for your mental health as well and that's that's probably a whole new another podcast in itself is around uh dealing with you know that high level of stress and pressure that you under as, mm-hmm. as you get higher on up in your career so i think um i always when i when i look at a new area i try and validate that approach so you know if I wanted to pursue a career in let's say setting up a sustainability tea company for example mm. then I would speak to a founder or if, or if you know a friend who set up a business you know speak to them have a go and have a coffee with certain people in these different areas you know learn about their role learn about their career pathway and then how you might be able to shadow that or you know follow what they've done and and validate that approach because it might be that you know you're passionate about this area but you get to know what actually that would entail and it's not something you'd like to do but you have not taken the full risk of actually you know going straight into that career so I think that risk as well is is probably you've learned that from being a lawyer to be honest Rachel around risk but uh, oh. <laughs> uh validating things in the in the least risk way uh, you can um, but really, to get an understanding of where you might want to go moving um, forward, there is there's so many different opportunities out there, even in academic institutions as well. There's so many amazing careers that you can pursue there as well.
0: Yes, there are, and it, it's that networking again, isn't it? That you just mentioned. You know, like you said, ask, do you know somebody who set up a company or you know a sector that you're interested in? That's it's so important, isn't it? um You know, to talk to people who are already doing similar things. Um, well, thank you, Harry. That's been really invaluable there to our to our students listening. So thanks so much for your advice, your time and insight. Uh, and what I'm going to do in the podcast descriptor, I'm going to make sure that we link your company website, Bright Tide, so that students can find out about all the amazing work that you're doing.
1: Thank you very much, Rachel. Yeah. And uh, I'm very happy to, to you know if anyone wants to get in touch. I'm very happy to have a chat about uh, career opportunities as well. So thanks very much
0: for your time. That's brilliant, Harry. Thank you. And yes, of course, students can look at your LinkedIn profile, like you were saying, such an important tool, isn't it? So that's brilliant. Thank you for offering that. This was the Zone podcast brought to you by the University of Exeter Career Zone. Check out iTunes and Spotify to keep up with all of our regular releases. And if you'd like us to cover something else in another episode, just send us a message. Hashtag CareerZonePodcast at UOE Careers on Twitter or at UOE CareerZone or at UOE Cornwall CareerZone on Instagram. And we'll follow up in one of the next episodes.